could all stand to be a little better with money, right? Whether it's investing smart or saving more, there's room to grow our own financial literacy. I'm Nathan Cohn. Welcome to the Trinity University Learning Together podcast series. I work at the public radio station in San Antonio, where we sometimes characterize what NPR does as the nation's biggest continuing education course. And that's why I'm happy to be introducing this series for Trinity, featuring faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who have established themselves as experts in their fields. It's all part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed especially for alumni. Today, you'll enjoy a conversation on budgeting with finance expert Josh Sigmund, class of 2001. Just remember, you can borrow for a house, you cannot borrow for retirement. Josh Sigmund is vice president of Legacy Mutual Mortgage. Dr. Dante Suarez, associate professor of finance and decision sciences, will engage him in the conversation. Hello, everyone. Hello, Trinity Tigers. Welcome again to Learning Together, a podcast series as part of the lifelong learning initiatives presented by Trinity University's Office of Alumni Relations. Again, I'm Dante Suarez, Associate Professor of Finance and Decision Sciences. And we are here with Josh Sigmund, Class of 01, who is Vice President and Senior Loan Officer with Legacy Mutual Mortgage. In the previous podcast, we were talking about his story and uh, the idea of how we really have to be very careful when we're spending, especially if you carry a balance on your credit card. So, Josh, can you tell us a little bit more about some suggestions that you have, especially for, yeah. for uh, somebody that's graduating from college, somebody that's young here, or or I guess these kinds of things that you're going to tell us about apply to everyone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I said in the last series that I, I've been lucky with a lot of mentors and I learned this system that I'm about to teach now from a guy named Rick Ruby. He's a really great guy. Uh, he's kind of mastered money systems and, and you can go Google thousands of money systems, whether it's, you know, Susie Orman's systems or you can right. go whatever, the debt snowball stuff. Uh, bottom line is that I, I've, I subscribe to this one because it worked for me. And so really simply, what I can tell you is that uh, you've got to start with the notion that it's a grind. If you're starting to work on budgeting, uh, it's usually because you have to uh, or that you have a goal in mind that you want to achieve. One of the two. Right. So you're like, forced like, to. You mean like uh, New Year's resolution kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. But it should be all the time. Right. Like, uh, it has to be all the right. time for it to be successful. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the hard part. So. You know, I think that when we go into this, it's easy to start with a parable. So there's a there's an old Chinese uh, parable that, that I read a long time ago about habits. And I think it really stands out when it comes to budgeting, right? So this old man, this uh, little kid are walking through a field and the old man says, hey, that weed's out of place, pull that weed. And so the kid pulls out the weed, no problem. We, they keep walking along a little further. They come across a, a, a little bush, a scrub brush that's in the wrong place. And the old man's like, ah, that looks bad too here. You pull that out too. And so the kid pulls out, struggles at it, but he gets it out of the ground and they mm -hmm. keep on walking along and they come across this oak tree and, and kid looks at what takes one look at it. doesn't even try. He knows what his grandpa's <laughs> yeah. going to ask. Right. Uh -huh. and, and the whole idea behind it is, um, habits are the same thing. If it's a, if you've only been doing the bad habit for a short time, real easy to change your behavior. Uh, but if you've had bad habits around money for years and years and years, yeah. it's going to be a struggle. It's going to take time and energy and effort and accountability and things like that. And so uh, it's got to be part of your daily routine, uh, at least monthly at maximum. But really simply, when you think about six steps, the first step is you have to actually track everything. Okay. Right. You got to know uh, where you, the money's you going. You have to know where the money is coming in. You have to know where the money is coming out. I think one of the biggest disadvantages our country has is everything's auto pay. You don't feel the pain anymore. Right. You just don't feel it. When yeah, you, and when everything you, is in a credit card. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't see it anymore. We took students to, uh, uh, I, I participated in a program taking students uh, to uh, Japan uh, this past 
summer. And at the end, somebody asked us, so what did you learn? And somebody said, well, I learned to use real money. Because oh, in Japan, yeah. they still, you know, people pay with 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 bills and we don't hear yeah, right? Like, so so it, I, I, I totally agree. Just putting everything on your credit card, you don't realize how much that is. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, uh, it's we have to associate the pain with the purchase, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so maybe you got to have like like those dogs that have, a, <laughs> you know, like a, a spark when you, you bark or something like that. Exactly right. And there's a couple of things to work around this. You know, when I say track everything, uh, there's lots of things you can Google on the internet to come up with an actual budget, but. Bottom line, it starts with if you have credit cards, you actually have to have to read the transaction history. You have to read it, every single line item and reconcile it, make sure you agree with it. Uh, there's mistakes almost every month when I go through my credit cards and bank statements or something that was overcharged, undercharged, whatever. Double right. charged happens right. quite often, actually. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's just wasted money to start with. So right. you're already winning now. You found some some money that you can get back. Um, so consciousness. You got to be aware. Consciousness, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about money in general, but I will tell you that when I go to the bank to get cash, I only go to the bank, not to ATMs when I, when I can to get hundred dollar bills, because I believe that we are $20 bill cut to death. You know, it doesn't feel like a lot of money when we're spending 10 or 20, you walk into a convenience store. Oh, it's just 10 bucks. Oh, it's just a $5 or whatever. You don't feel that it's mm-hmm. not painful anymore. And so, but I don't like breaking hundreds. So I've got to make, uh, be really choosy about what I'm going to spend when, money on uh, if I'm going to break my $100 bill because I don't want to have a big wad of cash in my pocket. It makes no sense, right? Right. Uh, so when I track everything, what you need to really break down is, uh, you know, a budget would start with what's your housing expense, what's your uh, auto expense, what are your insurance expenses, electricity, water, cable, a cell phone. Then you've got to put out some line item budget of what you expect to spend out eating and entertaining, eating, right. drinking, being merry. Uh, uh, versus your budget for buying food to eat in-house, right, at your home. Do you try to separate things that are like the things that you must have? Yes. The things that... The uh, wants versus needs. Of, and, and then the things that potentially you could do without. I love that you said that, and the answer is yes, right? So so one concept that I really believe in uh, that I learned from Rick is an idea of, a, of knowing your survival number, okay? What do you mean by that? So a survival number would be, I can't fail to make a minimum payment on my car payment or my house payment, or they take it away. Right. Right. I can't fail to make at least a minimum payment on a student loan, or I will get a massive hit on my credit. Right. Right. So when you think about in terms of the minimum payment on credit card, the minimum insurance payment, whatever it is, all those totaled up would be what's called your survival number. And you've got to eat. So put in a number for food. But when you add all that up, the idea then is, okay, I, I look at this number and I say, okay, uh, how much money do I have in reserves in the bank to float me in the event that the poop hits the fan? I get fired, right? I lose my job. Uh, life happens. I get disabled. I can't work physically for three months or six months. You have then to have you, your rainy day fund. You have to understand which is step two, right? Which is having a float account. Um, I believe you need to have a minimum of three months float, which is three months of your survival number okay. in a separate account. So if you... If your total bills, everything add up to 2,500 bucks in a month, your goal should be second to get up to $7,500 in checking and savings with not the purpose to spend it. It's literally the purpose is for it to be there in the event that life happens and it will. If it's not there, what ends up happening? Because I've heard other systems, they say, step one, pay down debt. Wrong. If there's no float, then what happens is when life does happen, we go right back to the credit card. Right. Because there's yeah. no way to, to not use a credit card because the dark side we, there's of the no force other, is there it's always you, pulling yeah. you. Exactly yeah. right. So, so I, I believe step two has to be, you've got to focus on getting a float account of, of three times your survival number, right? Got it. In order to get the survival number, we have to track everything. 
one other piece of the tracking everything I would add in is you should pay all your bills on the same day every month. And that you helps should stop you with doing the consciousness of it. Yeah. So, uh, auto draft is great in theory because of its convenience, but it's horrible in that you don't associate pain with the purchase. Right. And so, uh, and we can justify, Oh, it's only hundred bucks. Only it's, it's only 300 bucks. We don't think that much about it sometimes depending on how long you've been in business perhaps. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you look at on a single day, all, ba- all incoming deposits, uh, tax returns, uh, you get your tax return, you get, a $50 mail-in rebate back, you get your paychecks for two months, uh, two weeks, and all that comes in. And then you sideline against all the outbound expenses. Now I get to look at, oh my God, I worked this entire month to go negative. Because now I can look at, if I spent more than I made, it's still negative savings, right? Right. Uh, but I get to feel the pain of it. Or I'm like, how did I spend that much money in a month? Where right. is it? I don't recall having a brand new shiny horse or a right. new car. So now I can feel the pain of, I must have wasted money if there's nothing to show for it. Right. Because I really don't need to eat that nice of food and drink that nice of wine. Right. right? And so uh, that's that's understanding the survival number and then getting three times is a really in, important piece. Cool. Then you go to step three. And step, step three, three is, is paying down debt. Okay. Right. Then we then have to start working on debt at some point. You cannot avoid it. Um, there's you see, you want, you, I guess I'm assuming you want to start with the highest interest paying debt. Yeah. And and I love that you brought that up because, you know, um, there are other speakers that talk a lot about the order, right? Because some people say pay off the smallest debt first, because then you feel like you're winning Mm -hmm. and then go the second psychology. I believe mathematically that you can't deny you pay off the highest interest rate first, regardless of the balance. Right. Right. So I don't agree with pay off the smallest one first and get some critical mass moving. No, there's something that's costing you 10%. There's something that's costing you 2%. Right. Especially if, there's a, if you they, have a yeah. really big, yeah, it just, uh, you, can't, you know, like terrible uh, debt there that's giving you, I don't know, the 29.99% yeah. of a credit card. Absolutely. You really want to get that have out of the way. To. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, yes, there's arguments about emotion versus logic, but I think that when it comes to math and money is math, choose logic. Interest yeah. is, is more important than the feeling of it. And right? it is, you know, exponential. It is exponential. That's what I mean by the dark side of the force. It really got you. Yeah. So you start nailing that down uh, and and paying it off. And because you've got a float balance, then when, when, you know, you blow up all four of your tires running over some nails, you go dip back into your, 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 your uh, three month survival, right? Your float account to buy the, to buy the tires. You don't charge it at all. That way your balance isn't going back up the following month or two or three, however long it takes, you fill back up that float account again. Right. And once you're back to three months, then you go back to knocking down debt. Right. And that's how you start to get ahead. Right. So once that debt's paid off or down or over, because it, you know, everyone's got different situations. Sometimes you can do it in a year. Sometimes it's going to take you 10 years or 15 years to get right. out of debt. Right. The question then comes, well, um, paying down debt's nice, but I have to retire at some point. And what's, when should I start saving? Right. Right. The answer is now, um, you know, you can't, you, you can't, this day and age, there's so few pensions left in, in the world, in the world. You can't really re- rely on pensions from companies. Um, Social Security is an argument that I'm not going to get into on, on air, but I would not rely on Social Security to pay your bills in retirement if you are right. uh, less than 40 not, years not, old. Not gonna it's be just enough. not going to be viable. It might not even be around. We don't know yet, but we, don't, we can't rely on that. And so because of time value of money, we need to be setting aside some money every month. And so one way I, I kind of look at it is, I do believe that you should be at some points choosing to split 
money that goes towards debt reduction and goes into retirement planning. Once so, you got the, yeah, the you debt can, number under control. Yeah, once you start you to understand your budget. Yeah. Student loans that are, you know, like very low uh, interest rate payments, that kind of thing. And yeah, then, it's it's the things you can live with, right? So again, now you've had a habit formed and maybe you're a year into this or two years into this and you are really honed in on what your budget is really and what your survival number is really. Not I think, but right. I know. Mm-hmm. Now you can say, okay, I got a raise. You know, this year I got a 3% raise. What do I do with the money? Put it towards retirement. Right. Keep on paying down the debt. You've got a budget that you, but what you don't do is go get a new car. Don't upgrade. Don't right. get the new iPhone. Uh, one of the things that that I did learn, probably out of fear after my experience in college and, and being dropped in my butt and having to work my way through it and coming out with the student loans and my car payment was uh, that I never, I knew I never wanted to be in that position again. And so as I paid things off, I just kept them. So like I, I kept that Ford Exploder till exploded. 240,000 miles later, I finally got a new car. Um, I kept my first house in my, uh, my first time home buyer house. I bought that for about 130,000 and I lived in it for 12 years. Mm-hmm. It was paid off at the sixth year right. and I stayed there and my income was sufficient to move up for sure. And I wanted to, cause all my friends had already moved up, right. but I stayed there and that was what allowed me to knock out all debt and, and put a ton into savings. And so the, 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 uh, it's not my quote, but you've probably heard before live today like nobody else. So you can live tomorrow like nobody else mm-hmm. is true. Learn to uh, live within your means. Live within your means and stay there. So if you get used to living off, let's just say that your income out of college or even three years or 10 years out of college is 5,000 a month or your household income is eight, okay? Whatever that is, figure out the budget to live within and stay there for as long as you can. So I'm in the mortgage industry, right? And uh, uh, I would argue or people would argue now that it is necessary to have a s- smartphone uh, because you got to be able to text back and email back on the spot. It, it's necessary to have a smartphone in many businesses. I chose not to till four years ago. Mm-hmm. Now it is 2018 now. Smartphones have been around a lot longer than 2014. Right. And I had a flip phone until then. And the reason was I knew that the second I stopped using a flip phone and went up to a smartphone, do you think I'm ever going to go back? Right. I'm never going to choose to go back to my, to my flip phone. You got to think about cars as well. You know, you keep on upgrading and you finally get your new car because you have your new profession and you deserve it. Damn it. You deserve it. Right. right. You can't think that way because once you go up, it's going to be very difficult for you to make the middle choice to go backwards because you feel emotionally hurt, which is not right, but it's the truth. And so that deferred gratification and teaching, especially your kids, if you've got young kids, you know, uh, they ask for something, don't give it to them on the spot. Say, uh, you need to do A, B, and C to earn that. Right. And and if you do A, B, and C, we'll come back in a month and see if you still want it. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Have you heard I, about the marshmallow experiment? No, I haven't. I'd love to hear about this. Go so uh, it was a really interesting experiment. People have done it uh, in many different ways, but basically they give a kid, maybe like a five-year-old, a marshmallow, and they say, wait, but if you wait 15 minutes, we'll give you a second marshmallow. And some kids eat the marshmallow right away, can't can't hold and other kids actually wait uh, That's really interesting. in different ways to uh, get the, the, the second marshmallow. Well, they, they followed actually these kids into adulthood. Whether or not they ate the marshmallow predicted their SAT scores, their probability of divorce, of incarceration, pretty much everything. So it's like everything boils down to, in one way or another, trying to uh, make yourself somebody that can that can basically contain yourself. So this is all about self-control, right? Like you, right. you have to be able to uh, tie yourself to the mast and, I love it. and, and not 
Well, I'll tell you one tip to be able to do that with your money is, um, so it's not around it anymore, but uh, right out of college, I, I, I used in my float account, what I did is I put it on an online banking. So you can do that for sure. But uh, ING Direct at the time was new. And what was interesting about it was if you move the money to that account and you needed it today, you could put in the transfer to your current, you know, Bank of America or whatever, uh-huh. but it would take 24 hours to get there. Right. Well, that what I found is that by putting it over there, out of sight, out of mind, then the propensity for me to actually really need it that bad that I'd be willing to wait a day to go back and buy whatever just kind of didn't exist. I just never touched it. It was over there, out of sight, out of mind. I would truly only use it when it was an emergency. Right. And so uh, one thing you've got to think about is you can't have a checking account and everything comes in and all that and your float account and everything. And you cannot do that. You have to You're separate somebody that it. believes in, in different, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe you should have a checking. This is how much you can spend in this. this yeah. So have your own, even if it's mental accounts. Yeah. Of well, what checking you can spend savings in and money markets, a great example, because mm-hmm. even though you have to, tra- you can transfer money between your own accounts at, at Wells Fargo yeah. or whatever. The reality is you have to take that action. And the goal should be at the end of every month that there's no money left in checking because why checking makes zero interest, zero, right. like nothing. Uh, 0.025 or whatever it is or right nothing, now. Yeah. So um, the, the idea is that as you transfer out, you're paying the bills, but you're also then choosing to pay yourself. And by paying yourself, you're moving that money over, which gets right. us to step four, right? So step four has to be, now we're, we're, we're choosing to retire. By the way, as an, a, a disclaimer, I am not a financial planner, but my personal belief is take full advantage of uh, qualified retirement accounts next. So think in terms of Roth IRAs, IRAs, 401ks. For sure, yes. Uh, because what you're coming down to is tax uh, deference or or uh, it, like for a 401k or an IRA versus, you know, if you uh, uh, Roth IRA, you, you literally never have to pay tax on it again if you put it in there and you wait till retirement. You, you, right. pay, ta- you pay post-tax dollars up front and you never pay it again. Right. Bottom line is we have to maximize those. We have to pay, you know, going from step three to four, Four is maximize all qualified accounts for your household. So any 401k, especially 401ks, so many companies match 401ks. It's free money that you leave on the table if it's, you don't yeah, put money I in your 401k. I tell that to my students. When, when you get that job, start making the big bucks. Yeah. When they tell you, you know, we're going to match every dollar, sometimes two or three to one up to a maximum. Uh, if you don't take advantage of that, you're it's just crazy. crazy. Yeah. It's a free raise right there. Right. And it's a raise yeah. for your retirement. You know, it's right. even, and it's back to the connection of the marshmallow experiment, right? Like it's like, you have to start thinking of oh, the, self, so interesting. the self that you're going to be in the future as, as your own self. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's, that, that's what it's all about. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Let's return to our conversation with Josh Sigmund and Dr. Dante Suarez about budgeting. The question sometimes comes to, well, Josh, uh, like, you know, I have this in my own company. So there's probably 35% of the people in my own company don't take advantage of our 401k, which matches a 6%. Like it's wow. a good, legit match. And I, and some of these people I walk up to, I'm like, Hey, it's been three years now. Why are you not utilizing our 401k? And the answer is an emotional answer. Usually the answer is typically, um, listen, I can only afford right now to put aside 50 bucks a month. That's not going to be able to, to get me to retirement. And people don't understand based on just time value of money principles, the, 
dollars put in the earliest are the most valuable dollars. And if you don't start somewhere, if you're just waiting for the lightning bolt of a lottery ticket to hit, or, you know, you get a crazy bonus when your company sells or something like that, uh, more than likely you're never going to get to that point where you have critical mass because at some point the money adds up to a, a fair amount, enough of an account that the interest on that becomes substantial, right? Uh, and the doubling principles of the rule of 72, it starts flipping. So you think about, I would love every Trinity student that graduates to start with the retirement immediately because you get that one last flip of your money, the one last double of your money, meaning you start at age 20 versus age 30 at that 7% rate of return, possibly you get one last double of your money. So think about that in terms of if if you now add up to a half million dollars in your retirement account at age 60, you get that one last fit flip. That last flip is worth a half a million just because you started early. Right. right? Yeah. More than it's, how much you put is is starting early is, it's is essential. Getting, it's the time. You got to yeah, have the time sure. in the account. Yeah. In the personal finance class that we teach at Trinity, uh, Professor Michael Taylor that teaches it, uh, tells me that they get extra points for actually opening an IRA account. Oh, no yeah. way. That's like, fantastic. And then they can go to the parents and say like, oh, it's. I have to open up an IRA account. That is awesome. Uh, but yeah, I love it, it. Like the earlier you can start, uh, the the better, right? Yeah. So this is step number four. Step Once four you start is, saving for retirement, qualified accounts, absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and I'll I'll do one last tag on onto what you just said there, which is I'm not gonna get the math right. I don't have my sheet in front of me that I, I used to to go through in insurance. But one thing that I remember distinctly, and you can double check the math yourself if you like to, is if you put $2,000 into a, a savings account for a retirement account for a child from birth to age 18, just $2,000 a year uh-huh. versus if you start putting $2,000 aside from age 19 through age 65, wow. at the same rate of return, option one will be worth more in retirement. Probably by a long shot. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. It's insane. Like, and they, you think about how much money you're putting aside in, in 18 years is what, 36,000 bucks is all you're really putting aside at $2,000 right. a year uh-huh. versus going for another 40, you're putting almost $100,000 in and option two is worth less. It's worth less than 36. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So start early. So now you go to step five. Step five is now, this is where you really, uh, step four and five, you need to have some um, advice. Uh, because unless you are a stockbroker yourself, you need to have advice of where to put your money. But step five, in my opinion, is getting into mutual funds, right? Uh, the idea is, is that getting into an individual stock is too risky. You fa- look at Facebook. Facebook is, is one of the most highly valued companies in, in the nation. You had lost one and a half percent. You have these ups and downs. And again, I'm not a financial advisor, but what I do know is that mutual funds, if you're not familiar with them, they are managed by somebody else. They're managing, some in some cases, hundreds of companies. And because it's, it helps you diversify, you're, you're less at risk of losing money. And this could be, uh, there's, there's cheaper funds. There's more expensive funds. Again, talk to your financial advisor. You're not getting into that. Yeah. And, and this is something that, for example, at somebody that studied finance, yep. like, like knows a lot about, but, uh, I, I do want to say as, as a finance professor that there's really not that much magic in it. You can just get yeah. even an index fund. Yes. Right? Which like, is really inexpensive. Uh, it's completely inexpensive. And, uh, and yet uh, get a really good diversification uh, avenue uh, with that, right? Like, so, so somebody's going to try to sell you something really fancy that, that charges a lot. Uh, but I think even if you go with an index fund, you're going to be really well off. The key, yeah. the, I think the key word for step five is diverse, diversification, diversification is the key, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yep. And then step six is something we all want to shoot for, which should be paying off your house. 
right? Um, the, Tell me about that because I, I I thought about that and I had a friend that told me like when you really look into it, uh, you owe some money on your house, right? Mm-hmm. If the interest rate that you're paying it is fixed and maybe not very high, that then you take into account that the interest rate payments on the house are tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his point was that you got the money to pay for, off the house, you're better off putting it in the stock market. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of schools of thought, but I'll tell you what my experience has been. Uh, there's probably two or three points that come out of this. Number one is this, just remember you can borrow for a house. You cannot borrow for retirement. Mm-hmm. Start there. So, so the it's, reason it's, why it's its own kind of rainy fund. Yeah. So you think about this way, if I can borrow money on, on a house, I, I can take that same amount of money, uh, put the money I was going to pay off the extra payments I would, I would have been adding to my house payment. I can set it aside into a retirement fund, which can grow for me into retirement. And then when I retire, I can pay off my house with hopefully a lot more money that made money for me. Number two is what your, your friend was saying, which is if you can borrow money at three, four or 5%, and then you can earn five, six, or seven percent. I think he was more more saying like you know like you you have say four point five percent mortgage rate, and then uh, do the calculation there. But a good chunk of that is going to be tax deductible. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. And then so you end up somewhere in the two percent range, yep. let's say. Uh, and then you know like you have some money extra that you're deciding whether to put it in a mutual fund, yep, or to put it to pay down your house, yep. His point, and I think there, there's, there's some. Uh, yeah, we're saying the exact same said thing. About that, that, that maybe, maybe you don't have to pay off the house very quickly. Yeah, we're saying the. I love that you said that. We're saying the same thing. Um, think of it like this. Uh, now, mind you, tax laws change by administration sometimes, right? So there's a new tr- uh, Trump. So to, again, talk to your CPA about the new tax law, because there are some limitations to how much interest you can write off right. now. But reg- let's just say, for example, you have a rate of four and a half percent. And let's say you're in the in the 33% tax bracket and you end up, you know, cost of money then is about three. You know, you write off a third of it. Your cost of money is about 3% at that point. Right. Okay. Well, if you can earn more than 3% anywhere else over, right. that, over that 30 years, put it somewhere else because your net worth will benefit from it. Right. Which goes to the third thing, which people will fail to realize about real estate in general. Real estate is one of the only assets that you can... Uh, truly leverage in a big way. Right. Um, thinking like this, right? If I, if I invest money in the stock market and I have a 10% gain, it's only on the money I have in the stock market. And at max, I, I can, uh, I can take out another 50% if I want to take out a line against my stocks. Right. So I can, I can maybe get a 150% of my money is what's working for me, if that makes sense. Right. But for easy, let me say it uh, slower, I guess. In general, most people are not going to leverage their stocks. They're just going to earn interest on the money right. they have invested. So maybe they put in $10,000 in the stock market. Right. It grows 10%. Cool. They, it's worth eleven in a year. Right. Okay. Versus I can go buy a $200,000 house and I might have two options. Maybe I, I can I can pay off that whole, uh, whole mortgage, $200,000, or I could put $10,000 down and invest the other $190,000. Right. Right. Well, not only do I earn interest on the other 190, but the appreciation of my property is not just on 10,000 I put into it. Right. If my house appreciates by 5%, it's appreciating by 5% on the 200,000. Yes. Even though I only have 10 uh, $10,000 into it. Right. So you get this double benefit of you're earning interest in the money you didn't put into the house right. and your house over time appreciates on its overall value regardless of the loan size. For sure. Makes sense? So 
that's why it's a it's a one of the things that it's hard to do, but uh, ideally you want to wrestle and, and make sure your retirements are strong before you actually work to pay off your mortgage, in my opinion. Right. Uh, now, there are cases where when your net worth is higher, uh, you would choose to pay off your mortgage earlier. If your net worth is already, you know, you're, regardless of your age, you could retire. Um, in states like Texas, where there is a, uh, a community property state, we, we have some asset protection by having money in our homes, right? So uh, a doctor, for example, that uh, is in a litigious environment, you know, everyone likes to sue doctors these days, it seems mm-hmm. like, they might choose to pay off their house early because even if they did something wrong, they're not going to get the money out of the house. Right. So it's a very so safe from an asset protection, that yes. that's a good thing. Right. Uh, but from a uh, all of us that are not retired yet or are not in the uh, even online to retire yet, we need to put the money in a way in an area to grow. Right. Because it's all for naught if we have to work to our ninety. You know. Right. So uh, those are really the six, six steps that I've been prescribing to, and, right. and it's worked very well for me and for uh, so many people that I, that I've worked with in the past. Sounds like there's a lot of wisdom in there. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Today's podcast was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the first Tuesday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest topics for future consideration, email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.